Hello, and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson, and with me is... Uh... Lucas Stock. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together Ooh, on the road that is the Christian faith. We thank you for joining us as we explore, discuss, and grow together as followers of Christ. So, Lucas, man, oh, man. It is... Uh, let's see. It's the end of May. Uh, how yes, in the is. world did that happen already? I thought 2020 just started. Speaking of which, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm loving just thinking back to the end of December, beginning of January, where everyone's like, "Man, t- we're gonna have 2020 vision this year. It's gonna be the year for you. <laughs> this is gonna be a great year." And oh boy, oh boy, y'all were crazy. That's all I'm oh saying. Boy. Like, what a this has time. been like when I think about just these short couple of months. I mean, Kobe Bryant passing away, COVID 19. Um, you know, everything that's been happening this last week in the news. Um, and that's just like to name just a handful, but it just seems like right. week after week, there is just something else that is, man, it feels like a gut punch week after week. But yeah. do you remember when people were talking about murder hornets <laughs> <laughs> for like a day? I forgot uh, about those. Yeah. Like seriously. completely until yesterday I heard something and I was like, oh yeah, man, I miss those days. Right. The simpler <laughs> Imagine days. Imagine when... missing the days when we had COVID and murder hornets. I know. I know it's it it's yeah and <sighs> on a on a cheery note maybe um today May thirty first twenty twenty um six years ago today I asked Hannah to like you know be my girlfriend um which is wow. just sort of like, like crazy what did she say what did she say she's like yeah baby I don't know she's <laughs> like no it didn't go that like that she we she was like yeah totally of course you know whatever I don't know she I don't, I don't uh. She's actually not here right now. She's on a trip, so I can't even ask her. Um, mm. But yeah, we, so we've we'll been, just we've been together for, for six years, which is, I mean, when I think about, that's a long time, like six six years. It's a while, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of exciting. Very exciting. Congrats on your semi-anniversary, I guess. <laughs> Some sort of thing. <laughs> But yeah, so well, um, you know, we won't uh, we won't take too long here. Uh, you know, as you know, you're listening to the Doxology podcast. As you also know, this episode is titled something about evangelicalism, um, mm. the word evangelical. So we won't belabor the point anymore. Today, we're going to be talking uh, about this idea of um, evangelicalism, what it is, what does the word evangelical mean? Should we use this word? Uh, what is the gospel? What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, I think there's going to be a lot that goes into this, and this is an episode that, uh, at least from my perspective, I prepared very little for and in writing. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of ideas, mm. um, but unlike previous episodes, <coughs> Tulip, um, I, I did not, you know, I do not have 10 pages of notes. I have like maybe five sentences of notes. So um, I'm excited to have this be a little bit more conversational, to have it be... Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of more organic and natural. So I don't know. How do you how do you want to jump into this? What's uh, what's your yeah. thoughts? Well, I think so. Just starting with the word, I guess evangelical. So I mean, okay, <laughs> never mind. Let's run that back. <laughs> All right. See so ya. when Bye. when people say you know evangelical or or refer to evangelicalism, um, generally speaking, I think we can sort of define that as. It's, it's a pretty diverse group in some respects, but typically we're, we're talking about a um, theologically conservative Protestant, although not exclusively, but, but you know, Protestant um, movement within Christianity, um, particularly in America, I, I, I think, you know, um, well, I don't think, I, you know, particularly in America and, you know, Typically, that term is used to refer to denominations or, or groups of Christians, um, you know, as opposed to a term like mainline Protestant. So if you say like mainline Protestant, you're thinking of sort of the big, more generally theologically liberal and progressive groups like the, you know, the Episcopal Church, the United Methodist Church, um, the, oh, I always get them mixed up one of the one of the presbyterians <laughs> i know that yeah. there's, there's I like pca PC and pcusa yeah uh the the elca the evangelical lutheran church in america these large more established often very old 
American denominations of Protestants that are, like I said, generally speaking, I'm not making any comments on individuals or churches, but as denominations, they're typically more theologically liberal or progressive as opposed to evangelicals, which are, um, you know, we think of like, I think at least like Southern Baptists, um, though maybe smaller, more, um, you know, breakaway denominations that that maybe, you know, like the PCA as opposed to the PCUSA, for example, that and maybe it's not fair to refer to maybe PCA folks don't like the term evangelical. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm just saying like, generally speaking, more theologically conservative. Or even um, just the EFCA, which is the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's another, yep. yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a really good one. And as, even as we're trying to define this, you can kind of see the complexities as it is a very broad group, even as it you know, as we'll get into, there are some narrowing features in terms of typical sort of doctrines and, and practices. It is at the same time, fairly broad within those perspectives, as opposed to like, you know, in Germany, the word evangelical means Lutheran. That was what the, the came out of the Reformation, they refer to themselves as the evangelical churches. So if you go and ask for the evangelical church, if you're on a visit to Berlin, the person you're asking is going to point you to the closest Lutheran church, which is not necessarily the same thing here in America, you know, um, yeah. whether you're talking about the mainline Lutheran denominations or the more confessional Lutheran denominations, typically they, their beliefs are, are distinct enough that they don't generally fall into evangelical um, categories. And that being said, we wanted to sort of dive into the, the movement a little more critically Critically meaning we're not here to bash it. We're here to sort of examine it and analyze it a little bit. So that's where I want to jump into what the word itself sort of is getting at. Evangelical, you know, um, evan uh, evangel, that's my anglicized version, evangel, <laughs> uh, the good news, um, the gospel. Be You know, so evangelical is, is someone who is of the good news or of the gospel. Um, so in that very broad sense, all Christians are evangelical um, it, it, in terms of our faith is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the more specific meaning um, that we're getting at as far as, you know, American evangelicalism, there's a, um, a historian, uh, I forget, it's it, this, this, the his he has a this evangelical quadrilateral david Be bevington it, it's i can't remember when he lived but it was uh, older he's not he's not contemporary um and, I, and I'm, I'm quoting this from doug sweeney's book the american evangelical story which is a great um fairly short history of evangel the evangelical movement in america um and so bevington's four sort of points of evangelical faith are conversionism activism Biblicism and crucicentrism. So conversionism, a focus on it, on the necessity and the priority of an individual conversion experience. Um, activism, um, the importance of of uh, <coughs> excuse me of action of evangelism and and um, uh, preaching to the lost. Um, Biblicism, a very high view of scripture, typically associated with literal hermeneutics, a, a way of reading the Bible that is extremely, you know, face value, literal, historical, what it says is what it means, um, as well as typically uh, a, a suspicion of, of other sources of doctrine that are not directly coming from the Bible. Um, and crucicentrism, a, a focus and a, and a central, you know, sort of... I guess, narrow focus on the cross um, for, for Christian faith, for salvation. Um, so that's sort of in very, in very broad strokes, um, what, what we mean today and in general, what people mean when, when we're talking about evangelical Christianity or, or evangelicals. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything that comes to mind that I missed that, that you have um, or any thoughts that you have on those sort of, you know, defining characteristics that come yeah. to mind. 
I mean, I'll echo what you're saying about it being very broad. <laughs> I mean, if there's if there were ever a broad term, uh, evangelical is one of the first ones that comes to mind. Um, you know, when we think about denominations, you know, whether it's Baptist, Lutheran, um, evangelical free, Presbyterian, whatever, like there, a lot of those can fall under evangelical, I think. And um, some of some of what we're trying to say here, I think, falls under you know, what, what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be, um, a true Christian, a true believer? Uh, because especially in America, the word evangelical is thrown around so much that like, it's almost lost all of its meaning, you know, especially in political seasons during elections. Uh, you know, the word, you know, what's the evangelical vote? Um, like who's gonna, who's gonna get the majority of the evangelical vote? Um, who's gonna, you know, who are evangelicals voting for? Like, man, that, that is almost a throwaway term. And it, I don't even know what they mean. Are you talking about who are Christians going to vote for? Or are we talking about who are white Southerners living in Texas going to vote for because they live in the Bible Belt? Um, it's really difficult to understand. And so I think what, what we want to accomplish in this episode is to reorient and perhaps um, equip you to use more precise, more accurate, more helpful vocabulary in talking about who you are as a Christian. Um, so I don't know that that's sort of my general musings on the on the topic. Yeah. And I think that that that's a good segue into a couple of like, issues that I have with the term evangelical, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about the theology of evangelical groups, because that's a whole different conversation. And there are certain features of evangelical theology that I would take issue with, um, but other features that I really appreciate. Um, and, and, you know, I grew up, I, I don't like the term evangelical anymore. I, I wouldn't use it to describe myself, at least not primarily, but I definitely grew up in evangelical churches and learned the faith in evangelical uh, circles. And I, I think that that's, important to note, but also yep. just to recognize that, you know, there are wonderful things to appreciate as well as some pretty questionable things to, you know, analyze a little more and maybe uh, reevaluate when it comes to um, evangelical theology. But the term itself, using the term to identify um, a person or, or a, a denomination or an organization um, I, I have a couple issues with it that you've basically sort of touched on, um, and I'll just name more specifically, is that ultimately, in modern uses, at the very least, um, in, in how it's used popularly, I think that evangelical has become a term that's really vague. Um, and part of that is because it's so broad. Part of that is because, you know, it's not it's not a denomination, it's a tendency, or a sort of a, a movement that that is broader than a denomination. So some of its vagueness is sort of just, you know, because it's attempting to explain something that is so broad. Um, but I also think that part of why it's so vague is because it's become watered down in, in its use. Um, and I think that, you know, when people say evangelical, they're not thinking of David Bebbington's conversionism, activism, biblicism, crucicentrism, you know, and I think maybe at one time, that was a term that had a little more teeth to it, a little more specificity, just like, you know, it com evangelicalism comes out of the Great Awakening, you're wearing your Jonathan Edwards shirt today, you know, with with um, preachers and, and, and uh, leaders in, in the the American church like Jonathan Edwards and sort of that time period in the mid 1700s um, times have changed, you know, and, and words change and that's to a certain extent unavoidable. Um, but yeah. I think it's also important to recognize that words ought to have meaning um, that, that is somewhat stable, even while we recognize the fact that unavoidably usage changes. So I think that the term has be, has become, even if it wasn't always just really vague and, as a result of that, it's not super helpful for identifying groups of people. And, you know, just as, as an example, um, we can, we can refer to the Southern Baptist convention as 
an evangelical denomination. And that's basically true. I don't think very many people would object to that. Um, but when you look at, for example, what it takes to be a Southern Baptist confessionally, like the Baptist faith and message, when you look at people who are in the convention, you've got people as diverse as, um, you know, thoroughgoing 1689 Reformed Baptist, like someone I know sitting not in this room, but on this call with me. Um <laughs> And as to people all the way, uh, who, you know, like the so-called traditionalists uh, who are advocating for theology that is not reformed in any sense. In fact, it might be semi-Pelagian, but that's a whole different episode. Um, and <laughs> I'm not seen. trying to bash. I'm not trying to bash anyone or, or hold anyone up as as heroes or whatever. I, but I'm tr what I'm trying to say is like even specific denominations have so much variety in them that it can be tough to be like, oh, you're an evangelical and to know exactly what that means. Um, but my bigger issue, like you've already alluded to, is I don't even think it's primarily used as a theological or ecclesial term at all. I think it's primarily, like you said, a political term. And generally, a political term used to identify a particular type of political, you know, voting habits and opinions and views characterized by, um, the, you know, from like Reagan onwards, the Republican Party here in the United States. And I think this is like, this is incredibly problematic for a variety of reasons, because mm -hmm. there are Christians who wouldn't agree with, you know, uh, a generally American Republican Party platform. And they're still Christians, and maybe they still believe theologically, basically the same things that a group you know, that is more typically politically, quote unquote, evangelical would. Right. Um, you can see this in the way that, you know, when you, you, you look at like political polls and stuff, there the category of white evangelical votes differently than African-American evangelical Christians. And it's like, it, so we're not really talking about a, a church or a theological identifier. We're talking about a political um, grouping and a term, which then the gospel, or at least certain Christians, they become identified with and associated with a particular ideology that comes from the world over and against other ideologies that come from the world. You're identified as Republican, not Democrat. You're identified as conservative, not liberal. You're identified as, you know, fill in the blank. It doesn't really matter to me. And it doesn't matter to me whether those particular political viewpoints are good or or right or not the point is the church isn't supposed to be identified with a particular party or a particular ideology or whoa, a particular whoa, whoa. Slow political down. philosophy slow down are you are you saying what i think you're saying what do you think i'm saying no i'm just kidding <laughs> at this point and, and I, I think one of the dangers that i've at least that i've encountered when people use the word evangelical is it is very often closely associated with like you said, Republican, but especially in the last four years with like Trump and his supporters, like mm -hmm. it almost seems like even like if you're an evangelical, it means you're a Trump supporter. Um, right. And yeah, I think there's a obvious, some obvious danger in saying such a thing. Yeah. And I, th and I hope what's, what's, I hope what's obvious to those listening, but if it's not, that's fine. Is that maybe you have legitimate reasons you meaning anybody, maybe somebody has legitimate reasons to think that Donald Trump is the was the best candidate uh, possible in the 2016 election. And he has done a fantastic job. He's the best president we've had in recent memory. And um, I love his platform. I love uh, his, his what he's done. And he's helping the country. And he's going to continue to do so. That's a legitimate debate to be had. And let's say that's true. Being a Christian, being or a certain type of Christian, still doesn't, should not, should not, ought not yoke yourself to a particular candidate, party, platform, et cetera, et cetera. You, you need to responsibly and intelligently choose who to vote for if you're going to choose to vote. And you can responsibly and intelligently choose to vote Republican. You can also irresponsibly and unintelligently make that choice, <laughs> just like just like the same is true for for 
choosing to abstain from voting, choosing to vote third party, choosing to vote Democrat. But the point is that is not at the, like what you believe politically ought to be influenced by your faith as a Christian, because we have a God who works in history with people. But that, that is a very different statement than, oh, Christianity leads to X party or Y uh, uh, organization because it just doesn't. <laughs> well, and here, um, here's the thing that like, I think is the danger in this language being used and thought of that way. Like I have a number of friends, family members, whatever, who are turned off to Christianity. They're turned off to the gospel because they associate e- either evangelical um, or evangelicalism and Christianity with being X, Y, or Z, meaning being mm-hmm. being a Trump supporter, being a Republican. Like they think that if I become a Christian, I then have to become a Republican Trump supporter or whatever. And, and I, I'm not here to say one way or another what you should do as far as who you should vote for, what party you should align with. I'm just saying this is the thought process of many Americans in our country. I've had conversations with people right. exactly, exactly like this. Exactly. And and that's the problem, the biggest problem I have with the term itself and why I would want to shy away from it um, to to self-identify or one of the reasons I would want to shy away from it to self-identify um, and, and sort of categorize myself within the broader, you know, church uh, movement or whatever. Um, but also why I, I would I would generally hesitate to use it to identify other groups. That's not to say that, you know, there's no positive, helpful, constructive use of the term. That's not to say it's a bad term in itself, but I think that it's that it's become far less helpful than it ever than it was when it was coined. Um, and also now, whether this is whether this is a, you know in, inherent to the use of the term or not, it now carries with it certain. Um, connotations even if not denotations that are just actively unhelpful Mm -hmm. um and so again the term itself i would argue is problematic um and unhelpful um that's not to say whether or not you have um disagreements or issues with certain aspects of evangelical theology because i think there are plenty of aspects of evangelical theology that need to be challenged with the great tradition of, of the undivided church and the broader Christian experience outside of America, outside of 17th and 18th century America, um, outside of modern America. Like it, it's, it's the danger I have with the theology is, is, is a different story. Um, but the, the issue with the term I, I hope has become a little bit clearer in just in right. terms of like, maybe, you know, we should be qualifying our use of the term or even I would say curtailing our use of the term yeah. because of the um, issues that have developed with the term um, and, and how it's used, you know, well, I want to generally, I want to posit that the part of the reason that maybe this word has become watered down and vague is because our churches in America have become watered down and vague. Like the fact, the, right, right, yeah, y'all, y'all can blast me on Twitter if you want. You can cancel me. I don't care. All I'm saying is that, just think it through. If if this word evangelical meant what it should mean, there would be no mistake. There would be no like no one would equate this to being a Republican voting Trump supporter or whatever. Um, like if our churches were characterized by. I think true biblical Christianity, it just wouldn't be the case because that this isn't what we see out in our, you know, political world is not always true biblical Christianity. When I see presidents of conservative universities publicly supporting a president and just a very blindly, I'm not, I, I, it's like infuriating. I'm not going to name, I'm sure you can glean what I'm talking about here. Um, <laughs> fall well um yeah. <laughs> but i i just i think there's a lot of danger and we we again we lose um we lose our some of our witness we lose some of our um 
boldness in the world. I think we we succumb to comfort. We succumb to triviality, things that ultimately I think don't help the cause of of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because to be a Christian does not mean to be an American. To be a Christian does not mean to be um, a Republican or a Democrat. Like these are concepts that are so new and so irrelevant from the goal of the Christian life. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's helpful because we've said a lot of what an evangelical is and isn't. Maybe it's just helpful to say, this is what a Christian is. This is what it means to be a Christian um, most fundamentally, because in America, especially in in the 21st century, we, like I said earlier, we have a very watered down, non-existent and heretical gospel. And I don't, I don't know. er, So earlier this week, I was I happened to be scrolling through Netflix and I came across um, American Gospel Christ Alone, um, which I, is is a documentary that I knew existed. I, I hadn't yet watched it, but when I saw that it was free to watch on Netflix, I was like, "Dude, sign me up!" And I don't I know I like tweeted at you or uh, Snapchatted you saying like, "Hey, you, you should watch this or whatever." But like, it is really good. It does a is really it? good job. Yeah, it does a really good job of of defining of. Um, sort of exposing these false gospels that we have out in our world that so many of us just come to accept. I mean, Mm. I have friends and family who are, you know, Todd White supporters, people who um, are into, you know, Benny Hinn and Stephen Furtick and, you know, Joel Osteen, just to name a few. And it's, it's not just like bashing these people because we want to go out and bash them, but it shows biblically, like, this is what the Bible says. This is true biblical Christianity. And this is the distortion that is most prevalent in the church today. And so, again, these Certain, are things... Certainly our church. Right, right, in, the, in America, right. And and so, like I said, and but the thing is, one of the things that they do highlight in this video uh, or in this, uh, um, in this documentary is that we are exporting, so to speak, this gospel to the nations. There are mm-hmm. churches in Zimbabwe and Algeria and... Honduras and like you'll find these pockets of prosperity right and man how dangerous in those places places that are far more um you know they're they're poor they're um you know not not as developed as we are you know maybe they get their water from a well and they have to you know it's just a very different world than the world that we live in. And so to take a prosperity gospel to them, if you give more money, if you sacrifice more, if you do these things, it's, it's all works-based salvation. You do these works, God rewards you. Um, that is just like incredibly dangerous for a people who are already very vulnerable and looking to better themselves, to be healthy, to be wealthy. Um, so without, again, I'm keep, I keep prolonging this, but like I think it's really helpful to say what is a true biblical Christian. And I, you know, these are just sort of off the cuff. These are just ideas that come to mind, but I think, um, I think it's just going to be helpful. And maybe some of these words would take even an an episode in themselves to, to define and understand, but it's uh, to me, uh, to be Christian is to be committed most fundamentally to orthodoxy. And what I mean by that is to truly be committed to the inerrancy of scripture, um, you know, seeing it as the infallible word of God revealed, um, inspired by the spirit and preserved throughout the generations, even though we are English speakers, you know, we have our ESV, NASB, whatever translation of the Bible, um, even though that it has flaws, given that it was written and well translated and then written by flawed humans, um, we can say without question that the scriptures themselves as they were originally written and transmitted and copied and handed down throughout the generations, that those original autographs, the original letters, books, whatever, those were inerrant, infallible, um, our very rule and measurement for how we ought to live in this world. Um, and so, so many today, it seems, are not committed to orthodoxy, but they're committed to um, emotive feelings they're they're more carried by their emotions and what they feel than what is true what is reality mm-hmm. um you know they're they're carried by experience um rather than truth again truth and reality objective objective, objective what's truth out there right what god has given and done for us as opposed to what i feel from 
from him from god and like which you is know, not a bad thing but you can't have only what you feel <laughs> right it's yeah and you know some of this is like like i've already alluded to like uh, part of being a christian is is holding the true gospel not a prosperity gospel not a works-based salvation gospel um if you can uphold the solas that's a a, a really big part you know I, I know that's um you know sort of what the protestant reformation was trying to retrieve um was a a belief that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone according to scripture alone um to the glory of god alone i think those are some pretty important um pieces of the puzzle um Another thing that has come up a lot, um, I'm, I'm reading a book called Theological Retrieval for Evangelicals. I don't mean to trigger you, Lucas, by using that word <laughs> evangelical in the title. Um, but what, what Gavin Ortland is trying to do in this book is um, he's trying to help us, you know, and, uh, because he's, he, he too would agree that the, the 21st century church um, is in a conundrum. They are watered down. They are desaturated. They have a problem. And so how do we go forward? His way forward paradoxically um maybe ironically is to go backwards we we go forward by going backwards meaning if we want to go forward we need to recover who we truly are and what's really interesting and this is a question that sort of comes up in church history and in talking about you know uh the roman church versus um, the protestant church or whatever um, a lot of people will be like, well, was there no church for like, you know, 1500 years while Rome was this works-based, um, ritualistic, you know, worshiping the saints and Mary, like what, what was going on with that? And he makes the case that all throughout church history from the early church fathers, I mean, who took the faith from the apostles themselves all the way through to today, there have been faithful, biblical, orthodox believers. And he, he sort of makes the, um, you know, the thought experiment of imagine, you know, 500 years from now, a thousand years from now, if historians were to look back at 2020 and be like, well, what was the church like in 2020? Well, what was the, what's the loudest, biggest example? Like if you go to your favorite podcast app, um, you know, whether it's Apple Music or Google Music or whatever, if you look up Christian podcasts, the top ones are going to be Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, all these prosperity preachers. And so if, again, if it's 500, a thousand years, if they're going back into church history, you know, so to speak, they're going to see what is most pronounced, what is biggest, what is uh, most clear and evident. And um, is that what you want to have like be as a definition of this was the church? Of course not. Right. That's not the church. So, Even if those are the biggest churches in our country, they are yeah, not churches. Yeah. So instead of that, leave five-star reviews, rating, share, <laughs> download, and help us get Doxology Podcast to the number yes, one to Christian number podcast one. on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you for that plug. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe if we keep trucking along, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, so this this book is really, he, he what he's trying to do is show that from the apostles in the patristic era, so you know the era of the church fathers, um, and then on throughout the centuries that we have had this rich deep theological tradition that has not been lost it is carried yeah. and, and like jesus himself said i will preserve my church there's no way that jesus was not preserving his church for you know a thousand years or whatever during this right you know what we what we traditionally call the dark ages or whatever and the the ter there is a term for that it's not evangelical right it's it's the it's the great tradition of the undivided catholic orthodox apostolic church those words mean universal right believing right doctrine from the apostles the the the, the jude uh jude is it is it two the faith once delivered to the saints right that is what we're talking about and um you know i i part of that theological retrieval that i think is such a needed and um, you know, universally good project to be doing is to go back to the sources, which is not, you know, 1800s uh, American Christians. They they might be sources worth going back to, but they're not the sources. The sources is, is I, I you know, I was just talking with somebody about this. The, the church, we need the tradition 
because the church is, you know, history, the history of the church is a river full of rocks and, you know, uh, white water rapid areas and calmer areas and very shallow areas and deep areas and broad and narrow. And the, the source of the river, the mouth, the head of the river, can't remember if it was a mouth where it ends or where it starts, but where the river starts is God's self-revelation recorded in scripture, ultimately most fully in Christ himself recorded in scripture past, and, and then it flows down to us. But we're over here at the at the end of the river, or like, you know, the where we're at, the river, um, with all of this stuff, in all of this river in between us and Christ himself and God's revelation originally in, in the, to their authors of scripture. And we don't need to be skipping, trying to skip over the river to get back to the, to the, the source of the river, because what's in the source has been transmitted to us, not perfectly. There are, there are things that need to be worked out. There are things that need to be changed, need to be addressed, uh, problems that need to be rooted out because we're fallen humans. But the point is all of that in between time, which for us today is 2000 years of, 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 of history, of church history. That is what um, we are the heirs of. And when we need to correct our forebears, we need to do so with humility based on the authority that is scripture. Mm. Um, but that's that's not the same as, oh, we need to reinvent the wheel. Oh, right. just, me and, just me and my Bible, me and Jesus. That's not the model of church that we get in scripture. <laughs> um, and and it's not the model of the Christian life that we get in scripture. And so right. um, I don't know. I, that might have been a little, little bit no, of, that a, makes... of a rabbit trail, but I, I think no, that's it's... Helpful. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I lo- it's relevant. Yeah, and I think I'm going to read just real quick like a little a, pa- a passage from this book, Theological Retrieval, um, because it's really helpful. I think at least for myself, you know, you mentioned I'm wearing my Jonathan Edwards shirt today. Um, I also, you know, I have Calvin tattooed on my arm. You know, in in one sense, we are children of the Reformation, um, mm, but definitely. in another very real sense, we are not most fundamentally children of the Revo- uh, of the of the Re- Reformation, because. Uh, this is what he says. The mission of the reformers was to point not to themselves as the begetters of a new Protestantism, but to the establishment of a proper Catholicism, anti-Roman perhaps, but not anti-Catholic. Um, exactly. And then he quotes he quotes Kevin Van Hooser, who says, the Reformation was less about starting a new church than retrieving the one and ancient true church. The, Romer, uh, the reformers' main objection to Roman Catholic, uh, Catholicism was not its Catholicity, but its narrow focus on Rome. And so like, exactly. you know, when we think about Luther, when we think about Zwingli or um, Calvin or whoever, you know, speaking of the Protestant Reformation, they were not trying to create a new church. They were not trying to go out and be like, we want to start a new religion. In fact, like we've mentioned before, Calvin quotes the fathers sometimes even more than he quotes scripture. It's not that he held scripture lowly in a low light, but he was right. trying to show that what we're talking about is not a new thing. This is what right. it has been like since the beginning. And so as, as believers in 2020, when we're thinking about how we go forward as a church, you know, there are all sorts of models for church growth, for church development, for Christian life. And a lot of them look very worldly. They're very focused mm. on just being bigger, getting bigger numbers, bigger platform, um, you know, preachers and sneakers, like, you know, all these things that in themselves might not be bad. Of course, we want big churches. Of course, we, you know, we might want to dress nicely, whatever. Um, but when we're talking about the Christian church, I think A.W. Tozer um, sort of summarizes it really well. So he 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 said in, in one of his books, the average so-called Bible Christian in our times is but a wretched parody on true sainthood. And you got to remember, A.W. Tozer Oof. was writing in like the 40s or 50s. Um, he was... Uh, from Chicago. He was a pastor and he was saying that the average so-called Bible Christian in our times is but a wretched parody on true sainthood. If that was true then, oh boy, is it true now. And I don't know how much Tozer you've ever read, Lucas. When we were at Moody, they sold like this big Tozer collection thing that I bought Mm. one time at a discount day. And man, the stuff he was writing about, like, I mean, again, in the a much earlier time period, you know, talking about radio, talking about, you know, early uh, TV days, right. but he was talking uh-huh. about some of the dangers that those things pose to the church. 
And how much more are we in danger now with, you know, TV, video games, Netflix, pornography, um, like all these things that we have instant access to. It all takes away and devalues, I think, the, the, the true the true church. And, you know, uh, to quote another person, I have a couple quotes here that I'm just going to rattle off. Um, J.C. Ryle, he said, give me a Bible and a candle and put me in a closet and I can tell you everything that is going on in the world. And, you know, it's, it's a little tongue, tongue in cheek. Um, but what he's saying is, first of all, I can go away in my closet with just my Bible and read what people are like most fundamentally. I'll see that they're haters of God, insolent, boastful, um, you know, disobedient to parents, whatever, you know, there's lists in the new Testament of what this world is. So like we, we can know that that's what we're going to find when we go out into the world. We're not going to see perfection. We're, we're, like someone tweeted recently that perfection isn't heaven, but realizing that you're perfect the way that you are now, that's just a load of bull baloney, especially in light of what's going on in the world right now. <laughs> but like going into your, into the closet with just your Bible, I'm not saying that's what we all are supposed to do. We need the church. We need this communion of saints. We need to gather but the point is, is like, we know most fundamentally what people are like, but when we go into churches, a lot of churches, people don't know their Bibles. They just like the, I don't, again, this could be like a five hour long episode if we let it keep going, but there's just, <laughs> there are so many things that are fundamentally, I think, flawed in a lot of our modern churches these days. Um, and there are probably a lot of roots, a lot of reasons for that, but a big part of it is not being, as you said, um, part of the holy catholic apostolic i always forget the order that all those are um or you know orthodox mm -hmm. right all, all those things um and maybe maybe it's also just helpful to say you know we do live in a very um you know living in america again especially in light of current events um that a lot of people have been saying that the the system's broken the system's broken um, no, this is, this is how the system was built. It's functioning as it was built, you know, to not get too political. We came to a country where people were already established. We pillaged and took what wasn't ours, established ourselves, and then stole people from their lands to build this land into what it is. And that's a very, you know, broad brush speaking of what our country, sort of how our country was founded. But this, this country really was founded on the backs of, um, slave labor of, um, you know, mistreatment. And, you know, there's a lot that could be said there, but when we're speaking of the church, and again, I know we live in very, even though we might not want to say this, we do still live in very segregated, um, you know, parts of the world. I, I went to a church when I was in Chicago that was in Cabrini Green. I don't know how much you guys that listen know about Chicago or Cabrini Green, but the church that I went to was in that neighborhood and it was the whitest church I've ever been to. Um, mm. and here's the thing again, without get, being too political, Christians, especially more than anybody in the world must be for racial reconciliation. When we talk about all the issues that are going on in our culture, um, it's not that we need to be out there necessarily like, I'm not going to say anymore, but what I'm, what I'm going to say is in the Bible, in Acts 11, we read about the church in Antioch. This is the church where believers were first called Christians. It literally says that in Acts 11. This is where the, the people were first called Christians. So this word that we still use probably most abundantly, this is probably the word we use more than any other to describe what we are as followers of Christ, Christians. Um, it was first used here and it was used for the multi-ethnic church, a church where um, Paul was a Jew who was a Pharisee. Simeon was a Gentile from modern-day Africa. Um, Lucius was also a Gentile from modern-day Africa. Barnabas was a Hellenized Jew. Like, this church was made up of people from different nations, different tongues, different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, whatever, different different stages of life. And they came together. They were gathered together. Um, they were wrestling through, like, um, you know, how, how, how does this new... Um, new covenant work like what what are the works of the law how do they fit in there are all these things that were going into it and it was here at this multi-ethnic body where the people were first called christians um and so one of the things that i think is really important um in in our culture is to not to not be so divided along 
so many different lines. You know, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Lutheran, I'm whatever. Um, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm whatever. Um, I, you know, our churches are a lot of good things, but also a lot of bad things. And I I know that there are a lot of churches where no one is intentionally going out and, um, you know, being racist or being um, harmful or hurtful, but it, it, there is, the, the reality exists that there are some out there um, and so as you, as you think about, again, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in this world and go forward, carrying out the gospel, the gospel is about more than what you think it is. This is, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but we are all, um, in Christ. It's not that those things, it's not that we suddenly lose our ethnicity. It's not that we have suddenly had to just become a big, you know, muddled same pile of nothing. I don't know. We're not, we're not all trying to be exactly the same. There can still be diversity, but the thing that unifies us is far greater than anything that this world has to offer. And I'll, I'll sort of close my little spiel here with a quote from Ray Ortland. He says, how we treat people reveals how we really feel about God, whether it's violence or avoidance or any other anti-love in between the evidence is undeniable since people are made in his image. So as Christians, when we go out into the world, when we carry forth this good news that Christ has died upon the cross uh, to reconcile us back to himself, this message is not for Republicans. This message is not for, um, it, it's for everybody. This is and, and how you treat people really does reveal how you feel about God, what you think about him, who you think he is. And as we mentioned in a previous episode about the Imago Dei, um, what it means that we are created in his image. Nobody is sub that. Nobody is um, lesser human just because of their ethnicity. So I know that got maybe a little bit more <laughs> down a rabbit hole, but you can uh, yeah. take over for me. Yeah, just to, to to bring it back, I think while that, that is a very specific issue that, that is certainly relevant in, in terms of current events and also relevant to the struggles of the, the, the American church today, um, it, it does, I think, you know, it's not, it's not directly what we're talking about with the term evangelical, but it does show the need for something that is better than a vague political term, right? right. And even if that's not what that term originally meant or has always meant or is intended to mean when people use it, um, recognition of the fact that there is this sense of evangelical being a fairly vague generally politically charged if not outright just political term and when you get into these kinds of issues we need to be what we need to be able to do is to rise above a term like evangelical Um, because what evangelical as a term is meant to be doing is to be pointing people back to these people care about the gospel and what does that mean it means more than just what it means to be an American evangelical. It means more than what it means to be an American Protestant. It means more than what it means to be a Protestant generally. It means to be a member of Christ's body. And we have 2,000 years of church history to, to remind us and to show us and to teach us and to guide us in what that means. And I'm not saying abandon your churches. I'm not saying everybody become Roman Catholic, everybody become Eastern Orthodox, everybody become Lutheran. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... Um, we need to be recognizing the limitations of the term, especially when it comes to um, those issues where the term doesn't really give any clarification. The term doesn't really help guide us into what are we trying to do here. And that's where um, the, the, the tradition helps. And ultimately, because it points us back to um, what God has told us in scripture. And so, you know, We've sort of explained why we are not necessarily big fans of evangelical as a term, or at least the areas where we find it less helpful. Um, but ultimately, what we want to do is we want to be Christian. And that does not mean negating the differences that people have on certain important questions, such as the way worship should look or doctrines of baptism or, or whatever it is. Um, but there's something there's something bigger than those things that unites us, and that's Christ himself. So, um, Yeah. And I think that, you know, to close, um, I'm, I'm going to pray today as we're recording is um, Pentecost. And so I think it's fitting that we 
we ended up talking so much about the church, more broadly speaking, um, on this day where we commemorate the, the, the birth of the church in Jerusalem, you know, 2000-ish years ago. So I'm just going to um, pray from the Book of Common Prayer, as is, as is my want, <laughs> um, a, a collect for, for the day of Pentecost. So let's pray. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All righty. So, a little bit of a spiced episode, but not too bad. Um, I like my spice. (laughs) so thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the doxology podcast we really appreciate all the support and the um time that you have shown to us by by being a part of this journey um and if you'd like to connect with us uh individually um or at you know more broadly you can hit us up on twitter at doxology podcast or instagram and email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com We'd love to hear from you with any feedback, questions, or episodes idea, episode ideas that you have. Um, you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can uh, stay up to date with any updates um, you know that we have going on with the show or um, give a little heads up on what you can expect from upcoming episodes. Um, so go ahead, click the link in the description in the show notes um, for that. And um, yeah. We appreciate your time and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Peace. Peace.